Welcome to the Creative Financing Podcast, where you'll learn how to structure terms and use various creative financing strategies to create profitable deals for short and long-term wealth. Whether you're a buy and hold investor, wholesaler, or flipper, learning creative financing will help you do more deals and unlock profits that you may not even know existed. On the Creative Financing Podcast, we break down actual deals we and our guests are doing and simplify the methods and terms used to execute these strategies. Now, let's dive in and create some terms. Hello and welcome to the Creative Financing Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gallegos, here with... Jeff Rappaport. And today is um, part two of our uh, series, The 17 Potential Mistakes Investors Make When Using Creative Financing with Sellers. So uh, the last episode, part one, it was episode 28, um, we went through one... uh, One through eight, okay. One through eight. So uh, on this episode, we're going to continue with number nine. So Jeff, take it away. Um, Number nine, uh, potential mistakes investors make when using creative financing with sellers. So we left off about setting up a third-party escrow to handle payments when there's an underlying loan. And not paying the seller directly. That's right. So here's a lesson to learn with the third-party escrow. Assuming that they understand and will carry out all of the orders that have been given during that first month's payment. Okay, So far, it's been screwed up every single time we've done something. So be involved, be directly involved to make sure payments are being made to where they need to be made in the amounts that they need to be made when they're due, especially on that first month. Because I'm telling you, otherwise you'll get calls in the middle of the month toward the end of the month saying, I didn't get any payment, no payment's been made on my underlying loan. it's it's always once it gets going and it's everything's in place typically not an issue that first month is crucial that you be on top of it okay so um explain that a little deeper so you're saying when you set up an escrow a third-party escrow account you need to so you've given them information to hey I'm going to be making a payment of this much, if I'm the buyer, I'm going to be making a payment of this much to you each month. Out of that, you're going to be making a payment to Bank of America or whomever for for this amount. amount. You're going to then send the difference to the seller at this address, and then you're going to send us all documentation afterwards showing that it's all been done. I'm more, most concerned about how it's getting done and when it's getting done. Sometimes it's not in their system quick enough. Sometimes, again, we talked about being vague. When that payment is to begin, so I want them to be clear on when it's going to begin. And I certainly don't want there to be an issue with the seller's underlying loan being late. Mm-hmm. The very first month that we're going to do this. Right. So I'm going to make sure, maybe around the 5th of the month, I'm going to contact my third-party escrow and make sure that they have received the the payment 
and are clear on where things go. And then I'm probably going to follow up on just before the 15th to make sure it's been done. So the mistake is not being proactive to make sure those payments are made the first time you've set up the account. The, the mistake is trusting that they know exactly what to do and that they're going to carry it out. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> to be so don't So don't, <laughs> don't trust the... Not the, on the first the, month. The escrow company to get it right the first time. That's right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, right. so... Let's talk about not including an actual balloon amount that okay. is due at the end of the term. So, so number 10. Yeah. So most of the the loan amount, the, the deals that you're going to structure are going to have a balloon payment. And a balloon payment is, hey, at the end of three years, five years, two years, eight years, wh whatever the eight term is that you agree to, there is a certain amount of money still due. Right. Do not go into this saying, don't be vague again. This is where I want to be specific that, hey, if I take this all the way out to this five-year balloon, this is the amount that I owe to the penny. Okay? Right. That way, if there's any issue, if I want to pay off the seller early, at least I have that balloon payment to use as a benchmark to figure out an amortization schedule. Right. Otherwise, we're going off of something. And again, it may come down to perspective. I see it this way, but you see it that way. Now we have an issue. Right. We're trying to avoid those issues. Okay. Up so front. Yeah. If you have that in your, whether it's your contract for deed docs or your all-inclusive trustee, I want it in there. Right. I, I want the balloon amount. If I take it all the way to term... There's no discussion, is there? That's how much I owe. That's yeah, it. Absolutely. Okay. So we're trying to avoid issues. We're trying to think ahead on something that could happen that could create an issue. I don't want issues. Issues take time, energy, and potentially money to resolve. I don't yeah. want those. Okay. So number 10, not uh, specifying what that balloon payment is. That's right. Okay. Okay, number 11. This one's crucial, okay? So if there's an underlying loan, but I don't care if you're taking it subject to, certainly like if we were talking about earlier about taking over someone's debt that's maybe behind on payments, this is absolute. But it should be with everyone that you're doing creative financing with that has an underlying loan. I want to see a mortgage statement, the most recent one. I want to see certain things on that mortgage statement. I want to get an authorization to release information. That means that once we, we consummate this whole deal, we close on this deal, I want to be able to contact the bank if need be and get information without you, the seller, being involved. Being involved. Yeah. Because I don't know if you're going to disappear or you're going to die or you're going to whatever. I need to know that I can get certain information. So I want to get an authorization to release. I want to get internet access to the account. So if they've already set up an account, I want their password and their login. If they haven't set up an account, I want them to go set up an account and give me their login and password. Right. Okay. I want to be able to manage this account or my third-party escrow or whomever it's going to be. I want to be able to know that 
hey, I can find out if the payments change, if the lender has sold the, the loan to someone else, I, I need that access. Right. Okay. Um, I want a power of attorney signed because, again, if I have to get information, I want to be able to get it on the seller's behalf. Right. And th this may not be for now. It may be from three years from now, depending on how long this, this loan is going to be in place. Yeah. Okay. Um, so those are the things. I want a release, um, uh, authorization to release information. I want internet access. I want a current mortgage statement. You may even want a copy of the actual original note. Mm -hmm. That's up to you. And a power, power of attorney. attorney. Okay. Those are the things absolutely want. And if you don't get it, you will regret it. Yeah. So not getting those is the mistake. Yes. Up front. Yep. Cool. Okay. Number 12. 12. Um, offering too much of a down payment to the seller. <laughs> okay. Okay. And here's why. So one, if you're the buyer, if you're offered too much, maybe offering too much doesn't come into play as much if you're buying it for yourself because you're offering what you feel like you can afford and what still makes sense for you. I would hope at least. Yeah. If you're trying to wholesale this property, offering too much is going to kill you in yes. this situation. So we talked a couple episodes ago yep. about a particular example. I thought they were asking too much. So let yep. me kind of give you my rule of thumb. If I'm trying to sell this property, I'm trying to wholesale this property, I'm always trying to get in for as little down payment as possible. Now, none is being the best, in my opinion. Right. Small being even, you know, very good. But depending on who I think my buyer is going to be, I don't want to exceed certain amounts. So right. if I'm going to sell this to an owner occupant, someone that's going to be living in the property, I feel like I can get somewhere between 10 and 13% of the purchase price down. Okay. If I'm offering 10% to the seller, there's really very little money, if any, that I can potentially make for myself. So I got to be below that. Right. That's why doing some creative financing with listed properties becomes a bit of an issue because if realtors want to get paid up front, they want it from that down payment and that yeah. keeps pushing that down payment, payment higher. Yeah. 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 If I'm trying to sell this to a rehabber, it probably doesn't matter as much because I'm saving them the money of hard money. So I don't want it to get too outrageous, but 10% ish is probably within range and I could still add my fee on and it still makes sense. Okay. If I'm doing it as a buy and hold, okay, I might be able to get as much as 20 or 25% down depending on the deal, how good it is, but I don't want to rely on that. And if my buyer is putting down 20 or 25%, they could go get a loan now. Right. So I want to make it worthwhile that they would buy and be interested in this property. So again, I want to be in that five to maybe as much as 10% down range, thinking that I can get that 10-ish percent down from yeah. my buyer. So don't offer significantly high down payments. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think our example was is that 
you know, the purchase price was four fifty, and he offered seventy five thousand. Right, down. right, yeah. I mean, that's almost twenty percent. Yeah, and that was episode twenty seven, guys. So uh, that is a great example. Uh, we we go through it thoroughly on that episode. Okay. All right. Uh, mistake number thirteen. Uh, I think so. Yep. Uh, not having a solution for water sewer garbage. Yeah. So here, not here's figuring that out. Yeah, here's the dilemma. Um, most of the time, most, not all, that it, it's going to vary by city, but whatever city you're buying the property in, wherever the property resides, you will have to go down and the, the new owner gets to change the water sewer garbage. However, if you're on title, not an issue. Uh, you, you can just get the, the utilities changed over right. and they're fine with it. If you're buying on land contract or contract for deed where you're not on title, could be an issue. Or if you're selling uh, to a new buyer and they're not on title, could be an issue. Okay. So you're going to have to work something out based on um, how this is going to get resolved because the seller may not be very happy that the water sewer garbage is staying in their name and they're actually still responsible for it. Right. So you may go down to the city. They may, may allow it to be done if you showed them all the paperwork. They may not. Okay. So you can always have the bill just forwarded. And if you're now the buyer, that you would just pay it. Um, now keep in mind that these are utilities that, hey, if they don't get paid, they can actually become a lien on the property. So Right. Um, or... And or it can be disconnected. So, you know, if you're the buyer or you're wholesaling it to another buyer, typically that could become a major problem, right? Um, if yeah. you're using it as um, income property, uh, whatever, not having any water uh, could become a problem pretty <laughs> yeah. quickly. But not remembering to deal with this because it is a potential issue that... There isn't an absolute rule that can yeah, be so, fixed. So if you're buying on contract for deed, what's the solution then? I mean, because I mean, if you if you buy on subject to all inclusive, if you if you're deeded the property, then title, there's ownership. Yeah, there's so, not much of an issue. Yeah, so there's no no issue there. But if it is contract for deed, have you found there to be a solution for this? Or? So there's a couple of different things that you could do. One, you could go try to bring all your paperwork down to the city and show them. They may, don't don't get mad, they may say okay, or they may say no, we're only going to deal with who's on title. Okay. It is what it is. Um, typically, what they'll do is they'll potentially mail either the statement to you, mm-hmm. or they'll mail both to the seller and to you. Uh, right. They're usually open to one or the other. Okay. But... Getting it out of the seller's name may or may not be you know, an option. Yeah, it may or may not be viable, depending yeah. on how you're buying this property and the city and municipality. That you're yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Good enough. Okay, number 14. All right, so this one we've not really talked about, and I don't normally do this, but I'm going to start. So um, this one's fairly new, and uh, it basically came out based on me compiling this particular list and I thought to myself I really should just do this and 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create, it's like a little, it's not a checklist. It is a, a list of questions that literally a seller is going to say yes or no to. And they're just going to check and initial some places and sign. It's going to be an acknowledgement page. Okay. Okay. And what I want it to be acknowledged is some certain key points that we have already discussed, we've already agreed to. I just don't want that short-term memory to come into play. So if you remember, we talked about, hey, if we're getting a long-term, I wanted to say, seller understands that the property could be left in his name for up to this amount of time. Right. Check. Yes. Initial. Yes. Okay. Um, seller understands that loan is got a due on sale clause in it and uh, the loan could be called due. Yes. Um, seller is of sound mind and is not on any kind of mind altering drugs. <laughs> seller has not been coerced into making these decisions. Um, I, I don't know exactly what those will be. Um, they'll probably be probably a few more for the people that are in default just uh -huh. because I don't want there to be any question of whether we've taken advantage or they didn't understand yeah. something. Yeah. But or elderly or military or any of these more protected type class of people. Um, but in general, I and I don't want to do make it overkill. There'll probably only be a five, six questions. It should be really simple, and it should be stuff that we've discussed. Absolutely. But so I want that separate acknowledgement because if everyone, if one, they want to question what I've done, I can refer them back to that. Yeah. If I ended up in court, I can refer it back to yeah. that to the judge. Yeah. Um, it's just one more layer of protection. Correct, and it takes one minute to get yeah. signed. Yeah, and that's so smart because, um, you know, in those court cases, those potential court cases in the future, that would that would solve any doubt or question in the judge's mind of even whether though, or not the, the yeah, seller knew. Even though I would say the vast majority of it is spelled out somewhere in our agreement. Yeah. I want it to be specific, like, look, you had to read this, sign it, and initial it. Right. Um, um, now there's no question like, well, yeah. I didn't see it in number 17 in small print. Yeah, you know? so. yeah. So, so the mistake is number 14, not getting an acknowledgement signed. Not covering for yourself in terms of potential issues down the road by creating something very simple and something... It yeah. should be part of your your purchase agreement going forward using creative finance. And if you need help with it, talk to your title company, talk to your real estate attorney, yep. um, or just think about some of the potential issues that could come about. And it's typically on term, interest rate, due on sale, um, uh, you know, those kinds of things, and figure out what are the potential issues and then create an acknowledgement that you understand it and you agree to it. Right. Love it. Okay. I love that. Yeah, we haven't really talked about that before. No, that's, that's I a, actually came up with it while I was going through this. So. That's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. 
So, mistake number 15. Okay. Um, okay, not getting a title policy on the property. Okay. <laughs> that I, seems pretty straightforward. It, it does, but I'll tell you this. So, when I first got into real estate back in 2000, I used to do a lot of subject to deals. Lots of subject to. They never closed at a title company. Ever. They were all tabletop closings. That was what was normal back then. Wow. We would do, uh, I'd pull a title, a PR, a preliminary title report, just to make sure there weren't stuff on there that, you know, I needed to be aware of. But if it was clean, just the mortgage and, you know, a couple other things that I could take care of, I would just sign. I'd have them sign the warranty deed. I'd have it notarized. No closing, no title report. I would tell you. Things have changed. Okay. So get a title report. No more tabletop closings. Don't do that. Um, don't get involved in subject to all-inclusive contract for deed without having a title report and making sure, um, and I want to make sure that this isn't, um, okay, it's not, but making sure that, um, you close this with the title company, um, so title policy, and that it's an actual closing. It'll help in terms of, again, going back to what we were just talking about, taking advantage. You know, if there's the any seller. questions, <clears throat> that it was closed in a proper setting. Yeah, with, uh, by a third party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And guess what? You know, I can tell you that at least one of our title companies. Jax Petty, who we've had on the show, he's going to ask certain questions of the buyer that you know he has to ask to make sure that they're not liable. Like, do you understand this? Um, I, do you understand what you're signing completely? So it's just a whole nother level of, you know, if I go and I meet with an 80-year-old lady in her house and convince her to deed over her property and I get her to sign the deed right there and get it notarized compared to I pull a title report I have a closing at the title company it go, everyone goes over it a number of times I have that acknowledgement I mean which one do you think stands up a lot better in court yeah the, the using the title company yes. of course yeah so but I would not I would not there shouldn't be any transaction that you ever do anymore without getting a title policy. Yeah, and using a third-party licensed title company. Yes. Yeah. And when you when you tell sellers that you do that, like, hey, we use third-party licensed bonded title companies, they they are more willing to do business with you. That, that makes that kind of satisfies, um, uh, you know, a concern in their mind. Yeah. So. Yep. I always I always mention that. Anyway, yeah. Okay, number okay. sixteen. All right, so um, we've talked about this, but when we have a closing and we're changing insurance, so we're getting our own insurance policy. There's an underlying mortgage. You want the seller to change their policy to a landlord policy if it's not already one. Okay. So if it was income property, it's already a landlord policy. If it was their personal residence. It's not a landlord policy. You want them to change it to that. To a landlord policy. Yep. You want to get your own policy, but 
That landlord policy will cover certain stuff. Your policy will cover you. So yeah, and what you've got involved in it. So you want everyone to be covered the proper way. Right. Okay. So the mistake is not having your seller change their uh, insurance policy to a tenant to a landlord policy. So maybe that would be like one of the acknowledgments that hey seller knows to go and change insurance policy to a landlord policy. Check. Yes. Agreed to. Yeah. Yeah. That way if there was ever an issue, look, told you you right there. Yeah, you agreed to it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Last one. Like I said, I could have ten more. There's plenty of others, but I thought these were things that you should know to do every single time. Okay. Make sure of the underlying loans. So you want to do a little bit of investigation of what type of loan is it. So, and I'll give you an example. So there's FHA, there's VA, there's conventional, there's variables, there's HELOCs. USDA. USDA. There's all kinds of different loans. One, you got to know, can I wrap this loan? So we've talked before with Jeff Braylio, with Jack Spetty, um, probably even with Dave Kenny about can you wrap FHA loans? That will be based on where you live, the title company that you use, and what type of strategy you use. Okay? VA, again, something similar. Probably right. more based on the title company that you're using. Um, HELOCs. This is what you need to know about HELOCs. So let's say that you, you're buying a property that's got a first mortgage and then a HELOC. And it's got a $75,000 limit and a $35,000 balance. Is that something that you've got to shy away from or can you still do a deal with that in place? I think you can, yeah. You certainly can. If the numbers add up, it's totally fine. However, they still have a line of credit that's usable. You do not want that line of credit to be usable. (laughs) So you want them to go cancel that line of credit. Now, they're still going to owe $35,000 but you don't want them to be able to borrow the additional 40. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, so that's something that you need to be aware of and, and that address. Would, that would be a good acknowledgement thing. Well, th- you, you want to confirm that before you close. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. so you'd want proof to be brought to the closing table that, hey, you know, we've closed out the equity line. We can't borrow any more. Right. Yeah. Variable rates. Okay. So you're not coming across this as much right now, but I can tell you we're dealing with one. So normally you want to be really careful about dealing with variable rate mortgages because some of them can really change dramatically and we're on the upswing as far as interest rates go. Yeah. So as interest rates go higher, sort of these variable rates and they typically can jump up pretty quickly. Yeah. So... If that if that's going to be like a potential issue, you probably need to walk away from this deal. You need to know exactly where how high it can go and what potential issues that could cause, or you need the seller to potentially refinance the property before you can create yeah. that kind of deal. Yeah, because that could totally wipe out cash flow if uh, 
you know, if that's what you're buying it, it for, if you hold some upside down, make some people not very happy. It can create all kinds of issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you'll be, you may be into it a year, two, three, four years and it not be an issue. And all of a sudden it's become a gigantic issue. Yeah, absolutely. So we have one just quick example and then we'll wrap this up is that, um, their interest rate right now is like 2.75%. And, we're offering them fifteen fifty a month payment on a three hundred and twenty thousand dollar purchase price. Their payment right now is like five hundred dollars a month, principal, interest, <laughs> taxes, and insurance. Wow. Okay. We're only doing this for three years. I I, I don't see an issue. Um, I don't think the payment's going to go up. However, the seller has a bit of an issue because they want that cash flow and they're afraid that, hey, what if their payment goes up to a thousand and they're only making $500 a month? Right. I, I, what, I, I can't solve that problem. I'm not going to have a variable rate mortgage so that because you have a variable rate mortgage. Right. Um, so very difficult for me to sell a property on a variable rate. I stay away from them. This case, I would like to do this deal mostly because it's short term and the payment's so low that, um, you know, maybe I could go offer them a little more money for the property and see if that would compensate for it, which I think I'm going to do now that I just thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's something we haven't even discussed is variable rate mortgages, really. It's not um, as common as it used to be. It yeah. used to be huge. Yeah, um, I absolutely. Mean, the, the, what was it called? The subprime well era. The, the, there used to be the option arm uh, that's what it was called option you actually arm. would have three or four different options every month to pay on so you could pay on a 30-year principal and interest a 15-year principal and interest a zero um uh, negative amortization one where it's a truly low payment but actually principal could be added on to your um principal balance so um and then i think there was even a fourth one um but the negative amortization wasn't a good you know the payment was super low so you can if you were renting this property your cash flow would be through the roof however your principal balance could be growing rather than being reduced wow because they're just tacking on interest to the principal is that the idea yeah so your payment's not covering all of the interest yeah well, that's a lot more confusing. <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, we're not to that point, although I can tell you that uh, it is starting to, uh, there are some subprime stuff coming back. Um, they've got to, you know, with the market right now, the mortgage companies, right now all across the country, we have an inventory that's still pretty low. We have prices that are you know, maybe that still on the rise, but not quite like where they were. Interest rates rising, but we don't have a lot of buyers buying anymore. So the market is starting to slow down. But mortgage companies have to keep making mortgages to stay in business. Their refinances have already dried up. Right. What they have to be doing is making new mortgages. So they're going to become more creative to get people to buy homes because otherwise they go out of business. Yeah. So here we sense. go. Yeah. Here comes the fun. Yeah. Okay. So 
mistake number 17 is not knowing what what underlying mortgages are on the the property and what are the terms of those loans right yeah that's that seems crucial it is absolutely because like you said you don't want a heloc on it that they can continue to pull money off of every Um, once in a while you'll even find that there was a balloon payment in their loan that was due yeah so you know wouldn't it be good to know that hey you have a five-year balloon with the seller but on their loan, they have a two-year balloon. <laughs> uh, that yeah. would be good information yeah, to know gonna, ahead of time. You're going to go into default there. Yeah, you're going to wow. have a problem. Yeah, that's that's something we haven't really talked about on this show either. But uh, that's why it's good to go through this because I'm learning here as as you're you know as as we're talking about this. Well, we'll do the same thing on mistakes with buyers. So uh, this would be either you now own it and you're selling it or you're wholesaling it. Yes. Yeah, so selling on creative financing or yep. uh, or wholesaling. Yep. And we may even do the same thing as yep, this, this, these apply to owner financing. Contract for deed, subject to, all-inclusive, um, trustee note. We may do another one just on lease options because it's a little different in terms of some of the stuff that you want to deal with. Okay. I have one quick question about HELOCs yeah. since you brought it up. Um, if you were to do a contract for deed with a seller, could that seller still go get uh, a, a HELOC on the property without you knowing? So the way that the contract for deed would work is, so on an all-inclusive or a trust deed note, so the titles change, so they, yeah. they would not be able to. Yeah, they would, the yeah they would catch that, yeah. On a contract for deed, if done properly, what's going to happen is a notice of interest, interest will be filed. is going to be filed, which is going to cloud that title, okay. and it's going to alert anyone else that We're there is in. something on this property that needs to be dealt with. So, no, they won't be able to go yeah. borrow against that property. Because any bank is going to pull title, and when they see notice of interest, they're going to say, hey, this notice has to be cleared off before we're willing right. to make this loan. Okay. That's right. Uh, and one of the things we can certainly talk about um, is if a seller was in that position where you know, they were involved in a contract for deed or some kind of owner financing, but they needed cash, what are some of their options to get cash? So creating notes is actually a very huge industry. So, you know, banks sell notes all the time. Right. Well, as individuals, you can sell your note. You can sell a partial payment of your note. You can sell some of your cash flow, all of your cash flow. You can do all kinds of things potentially to raise money when you have an income stream coming in. So we, we could certainly look into that in some future episodes. Yeah, that's, that's some creative financing cool, we, we haven't even thought about. <coughs> really right. cool. Cool. Okay, guys, hope that was very helpful for you. It definitely was for me. Um, and, you know, we just brought up some subjects that we haven't even talked about. So these are going to be some future podcasts that we... we uh, create here so thanks for listening um we appreciate your ear please pass this on guys give us your feedback rate and review our show um we would love it and 
we need to know what you guys want to hear. So you can reach us at our hotline if you want to leave a comment or question there. And that phone number is 877-409-8090, 877-409-8090. Or you can reach us at www.thecreativefinancingpodcast.com. Cool. Till next time, create some terms. Thanks for listening to the Creative Financing Podcast. We need your feedback to continue to bring you the best strategies in creative financing. So please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We greatly appreciate your ear and please pass this on. Until next time, create some terms. This show offers general information on creative financing strategies and real estate investments. Nothing contained herein should be considered personal, legal, or financial advice. Every state has individual laws governing the use and type of documents used to execute strategies discussed herein. You should consult with a local licensed real estate broker and attorney before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed, and opinions of the guests are their own. Profits are not guaranteed, and there's always inherent risk in real estate investing.